Hello, it's great to be here with you again. Um, we're in our third week as we walk through the book of Ephesians. We did an introduction last week, Andrea took us through chapter one. Today I'm going to take us through chapter two. Each week we want to read the chapter. The words will come up on the screen. However, you may want to grab a Bible um, and read through yourself. We are reading from the new international version UK. Let's read together. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. <clears throat> it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Amen. So here we have Paul expanding on some of the ideas he laid down in chapter one. Let's just go back a second. You recall from last week towards the end of the chapter, Paul talks about the hope that the church it, uh, 
talks about his hope that the church in Ephesus will know of God's incomparable great power for those who believe. But this isn't a power that we might think of. You know, we can think of power in quite a, a, a negative term. People who are at the top, people who are in control, people who have the power to make things happen. Or maybe within the Christian circles, it's the power to be all I can be, to see my dreams come true, uh, to see God fulfill all of his promises in me. Paul goes on to clarify, you know, because I think it's a different sort of power. And he says it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lifting him up and seating him in heaven and gave him power over authorities, powers and dominions. In short, Paul is saying that this resurrection power is the power to live as God intended us to live as humans before the fall. It's the power to take our tragic, fallen, sinful, selfish lives as human beings and through an encounter with Jesus, totally change. Totally change. I've heard some people say you can change behaviour but you can't change character. Character is baked in. Not so here. Not so here. Paul, Paul is, is encouraging. He's daring the church in Ephesus to believe that in Christ we have access to that resurrection power to become totally new. Totally inside out. From, from the beginning to the end. Character the, the way we talk, the way we live, the way we hold ourselves, the whole thing. He dares us. And this morning, church, I dare you to believe and read it for yourself that you have power, this resurrection power, what's the key, in Christ to be a totally new individual. Nothing of the old man need remain unless we hold on to it. Amen. Amen. It's interesting, even though the church in Ephesus were doing well, he hears of their great faith in Christ, even though their faith was strong, Paul still prays that Christ would give them wisdom to know and see those things. I wonder if he just sensed that they weren't quite embracing in this diverse city, in this diverse town, in this diverse church, that they were still still just holding on to some things of the old life. So here in chapter two, Paul begins to take a different angle. He starts off by reminding them that before they knew Christ, they were spiritually dead. Their sins literally kept them dead. But there is a reason behind that. And in verse two, Paul tells us that there, there are forces that pull us and lure us this way and that firstly Paul talks about the ways of the world we need to always keep in our minds that the way uh, that the way of the world is not the way God intended it to be what does it say in John that this world is passing away this world system this way of doing things and we need to remember it's not how God intended and yet we are living in it. We are born into a world system that is not how God intended, nor is it the way he intends it to be in the age to come. 
And before we knew Christ, we were totally unaware of this. We were walking around. It will often feel completely right in the way that we're living and the way that we're going. But we've, we've been pulled this way and that way by the drivers and the focus that the world has. I often think it's a lot easier to go with the flow of the world than to come against it. Even recently, I've heard Christians who have walked out on God say it's like for the first time, for the first time in a long time, I feel free. I feel free. I mean, of course, you might say that. Have you ever tried to stand against a strong current in um, in a sea? If you're not careful like that, it knocks you off your feet and you're just away with the current wherever it wants to take you. Paul is reminding us that before we knew Christ, we were like that and we had no power to stand against it. We just go wherever the world takes it. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's not the only thing that we were open to before we knew Christ. And he says, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There is no two ways about it here. Paul is talking that before we knew Christ, we were open to the influences of the, 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 the Satan, um, to the devil himself. There are lots of names for him. Here, Paul tells us that Satan's scheme is to twist God's word and to deceive God's creation. And his image-bearing creatures is literally in the air. All of this happening, his, his whole emphasis to destroy what God is doing is literally out there in the air. We cannot escape it. So we have the ways of the world and the ways of the Satan, the spirit of the devil, the Antichrist, is pulling us from this way forth. N.T. Wright puts it like this. You can sense their power, the power of the world, the power of the Satan. You can sense their power in the atmosphere of a place or a room. The Satan is a spirit at work among people who see no need to behave any differently. And this was the challenge Paul is saying. So before we knew Christ, we just go along with wherever the spirit of this world is leading us. This is the flip side of the coin to chapter one. Before Christ, we were, we were being pulled this way and that by the world, by the old nature. We found ourselves, without even trying, following the ways and the influences of Satan, the ruler of the air. Whereas in chapter 1, Paul is praying that the church opens their eyes to what they have. Dare to believe that in Christ, he has given them the power to overcome the influence of this world and the power of Satan in their lives. And they can truly live as new people. I know it's dense, isn't it? I know, and as I, I started to unfold this, I thought, gosh, how on earth are we going to unpack this in the time we have? So now, if you look at the, the, the you in verse 1 of chapter 2, scholars tell us this is Paul referring to the Gentiles and saying, you were like this before you know Christ. You were dead. You were spiritually dead. And you can imagine the Jews reading this in this diverse church, nodding their heads in agreement. But look at verse four. In verse four, it says we or actually in the NIV, it says all of us. 
And again, scholars realize that really here, Paul is referring to the Jews as well. And this is a sadness that the people of God, the people that God had called to set apart, but had missed it and had failed so many times, were equally spiritually dead before they knew Christ. Paul points this out in Romans 2. He says, you know, you're no better off just because you're Jewish, just because you're God's chosen people. They do not escape this just by virtue of being God's people. Every one of us, Jew and Gentile, before we accepted Christ, was open to being pulled around by the culture and the influences of this fallen world and by the powers of the principalities of the air. I'm jumping ahead now, but Paul, doesn't he? He picks this up in chapter 6. For he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow. Paul is saying right at the beginning of chapter 2 that this path, this path that we were on without Christ, leads to death. Spiritual death. Spiritual death. So what is Paul's answer? Well, if the problem for the whole human race is that in the natural um, in the natural behaviour, it sends us to death. Our natural behaviour sends us to death. God's answer is to provide a way through death and into a new kind of humanity entirely. That is received by embracing, you guess, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And therefore it's in Christ that we have these things. I can't sit still. I can't sit still. And just that Andrea talked about last week, the being has it in Christ. It somehow means that what was true for Christ is true for us. Christ has been raised from the dead. So have we. He has been installed in glory in the heavenly realms in Christ. So have we. And Paul's prayer to the Ephesians is daring them to believe that, that this is the power they have in the resurrected Christ and Lord. Look at the next four verses in chapter two. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I mean, it's like Paul wants us to know, and we mustn't lose sight of this 2,000 years on, of how almost unbelievable it is that God is so kind. He's so full of grace and mercy. What's it say? Um, that his great love for us, rich in mercy. It's been grace that you, it is by grace you have been saved. That God's incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness towards us. I mean, Paul is laying it on. He says, do you get it? My goodness, that while you were even lost, while you were even dead in your transgressions, God did all this to open up a way. 
we need to realize just how good a father he is we have a good good father amen we just need to walk in what is already there for us as people in christ in christ we love those sayings and those lines we embrace them and use them to remind us of how god will always love us i think the challenge i think what what why paul is encouraging the church in ephesus to hold on to this to dare to believe is that if we're not careful those words of how much god loves us and has cared for us and has given us so much we can use to justify staying exactly where we are if we're not careful there's no need to change because god has done it all that we still live in the old life being driven by the ways of the world being driven by the ruler of the air yes even as christians while our spirit is alive to christ our our flesh man is still here our corruptible needs to put on incorruptible every single day and nobody likes to be told they're traveling in the wrong direction we believe that we're doing well you know we believe that we're going onwards paul says before christ that's just what you were doing now being in christ opens up the ability to walk a whole different way just off uh, cuff it's like we talk about repentance um before christ before we re re repented we were walking one way and in christ it's like a 180 degree turn and walking the other way we need to realize that god has given us the ability i'll use the word here in ephesians the power to walk that other way every single day as a totally new man and woman son and daughter in christ amen for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's a gift from god so he's walking in what we already know we have and walking away from the old man and old life not by works so that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared for us take away jesus's resurrection and for all anybody knows the path to death is the only path available to us to go along with this world when we don't even know but embracing the life death and resurrection of jesus not only do we see there is another way but that we are called to with all haste to turn around and walk in it let me say that again embracing the life death and resurrection of jesus not only do we see that there is another way but that we are called with all haste to turn around and walk in it walk in it each and every day so where where we have to let's just pause let's just do a summary before we move on paul has been Picking up the church here in Ephesus, telling us them in chapter one, just how he has been giving thanks for them and praying for them since he heard of their great faith. And yet Paul still wants them to see, wants them to realize or even to entertain the idea that in Christ, all things are made new, that all of their old nature can be fully put to death because Jesus died. And that the new man now lives because Jesus rose again from 
the, the dead. Amen. Amen. Chapter two, he reminds us of just how spiritually dead we were before we met Christ, before they met Christ. Paul now does something really important. He starts by speaking to the Gentiles and talks about where they were before Christ. And he then doesn't, as we've just seen, he places the Jews in the same camp. Boom. Jews were no different. Were no different to Gentiles before they met Christ. They were open to being pulled around by the world. And we see that in the Old Testament again and again and again. They went through a cycle of coming back to God, of falling away from God, of coming back to God, of falling away from God. And yet now, now Paul is saying in Christ, the two are made one. I'm getting ahead of myself. So it's from this point that we'll move forward. So Paul, having set up um, uh, it's Jew and Gentile now starts to talk about the multi-ethnic family God has called us into. And I love that, the family. You know how we focus on the family here at SCF. Paul tells us that before the Gentiles knew Jesus, they were not only cut off from God, but also cut off from God's covenantal people, the family of Abraham. It's almost like there was a boundary around them. This is where Paul starts to talk about them being separated from God, excluded from the citizens of Israel, the family of Abraham. Gosh, and, and 2,000 years on, when we've lived in, in having free access to God, we can, we can struggle to realise you know, that they were separated from God. They were excluded from the citizens of Israel. And Paul goes on to say in verse 13, that you who were once far away are now brought near. So let's unpack that just a little bit. The commands of the Sinai covenant kept them set apart from every other nation. The Jews were kept separate because of the actual covenant that Christ had done. Paul says you were once far off because the Abrahamic group were set apart. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the separation barrier is now completely removed, completely removed. The Gentiles, we, if you like, now have complete free access to a God and to God's people. And it says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed, to get the language, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, Christ on the cross, in his flesh, the law with its commands and its regulations, his purpose to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their ho their hostility. N.T. Wright gives this analogy, he says, imagine two rivers, one really wide, almost the main river, that's the Gentile river. We, we need to remember that when we talk about the Gentile and the Jews, Gentiles were all other people, all other nations, Egyptians, Greeks, Macedonians, everybody that wasn't Jews. So you've got this wide river that was the Gentiles. Anyone who was not a Jew 
and you also have a, a much smaller river, the nation of Israel, and they're moving along together, they're separated, they're two different rivers flowing totally independent from one another. But as rivers become two, yeah, so if you started on the smaller river and it joins the larger one, normally now you're on that larger river, aren't you? But here, Paul says the two rivers, the two people become one. And it's not that now they're on the main river, that would be the Gentile river, of course not. That's where the analogy breaks down, as all good analogies do. But this one river now becomes a new river. These people become the people of God. And in it, a whole new person, a whole new humanity to live their lives out. Wright says the water takes on a whole new character. It's no longer the Gentile river or the Jewish river. It is the people of God. Amen. And this is Paul's vision of the church. This is Paul trying to just share with, with Ephesus. Do you see what God's church, what the people of God is to be? That because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, we now find ourselves in Christ. We take on this whole new life, this whole new character. I know he's dense. I know he's dense. And to try and try and compact it into half an hour, I don't even know if I'm going to do that. We're having to go along at quite a, a quick pace. And this new character, this new man, this new humanity means that we no longer need to be governed and pushed around by the powers of this world and by the powers of the air, Satan. Amen. Can you say amen? But it doesn't stop there. Gosh, if that is not enough. So not only has Christ torn down the barrier that created an us and them, you know, the 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 people of Abraham, the, the, the people of God, the family of Abraham and the Gentiles. Not only has Christ torn down the barrier, he's abolished the Jewish law, the Torah, in the sense of something to be something that kept them apart, the rules and regulations, do this and don't do this. Is now the hostility that existed between these two groups is gone. It's completely gone. It has been killed by the power of the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, I just want you to keep, you know, in Christ, in these first two chapters, it's in Christ. In these first two chapters, it's the resurrection power that Paul talks about. So in Christ, as a totally new human, these two groups, Christ has brought peace, harmony. So now there's the challenge, isn't it, of integrating these two groups into one, the Gentiles and the Jews. And Paul says that actually in Christ, when we move from outside of Christ into Christ, that whole tension goes. Because Christ has brought peace. That is what being part of the people of God is meant to be about. The cultural divides are gone. The racial divides are gone. Any other um, ageism, sexism, all those other isms in Christ are gone. 
And while we might struggle to think, well, Jews and Gentiles becoming one, we might not have that challenge today. But what I think Paul is saying for us today is that there, if there are any cultural or racial lines in our churches today, then our very understanding of Jesus' death and resurrection, the gospel, is called into question. Because Paul is laying a vision that says, outside of Christ you had all these separations, you were divided, you were kept apart in Christ. There is now not just two groups living together, there is one new humanity. So when we see somebody come into the church of a different class, Paul says, that's gone. It's like you don't even recognise it. There's no, well, I don't know if they would quite suit us. I know they follow Jesus, you know, but I think they would be better suited down the road or better suited over there. I mean, Paul just doesn't see that. Better suited, you are God's people. And this is where actually we can let the world's way of thinking still creep into us still creep into us. These cultural differences, Paul says, are no longer there. What does he say to the Galatians? This is um, uh, the book of Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Do you, do you get that phrase again? In Christ? It's not that they were not men or women it's not that they don't exist we're, we're just all all humans without that definition but the markers that would say you are different because you are separate because to the point where it creates a divide a lack of unities we'll start to see in chapter four four paul paul talks all about the oneness we're to have in christ it just shouldn't be there do you see class all right you're that type of person as a Christian. There is no that type. There is just people of God. People of God. And it starts with challenging that attitude. Well, here's a little rough around the edges for our church. Culturally, I don't think they'll fit in. And I really want them to grow in church, so maybe they should go somewhere else. Those isms that we know about. If they're in the church, Paul says they will divide you and it even calls into question what you really understand about this new life in Christ. It's like um, having a load of people being stood up and which they're, they're all Christians, but you interview them to decide which one would fit best in our church. They're Christians, aren't they? They're followers of Christ, aren't they? come on in well we we want to get to know you a bit we want to see if if you'll fit in you know because as soon as we bring somebody new in if you don't fit into our flow our way of doing things you know then it can upset the apple cart paul is saying in christ those kind of racial divides those cultural divides that bring division shouldn't be there shouldn't be there Paul Paul just doesn't stop. Paul goes on to talk about that these two groups being apart uh, being apart are now one and are now part of the same household. I love that. He starts to talk about family and he starts to now talk about the temple. 
But this is not a temple, is it, built with stone and pillars? Again, the, 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 the Jewish nation um, had to put so much in their temple built with hands, with human hands, because that's how God had worked. But Jesus has done away with all of this. It's not a temple built with stones and pillars, but with people. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Jesus himself as the cornerstone. It's a brick, it, 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 it's brick laid down. <laughs> Hold on. It's as though a brick laid down that builds the kingdom is a person in the kingdom of God. Like those bricks that we see that build temples, that build houses, is it's each brick in the kingdom of God is a person. Here Paul is saying where there are two bricks hewn from two different quarries laid side by side together in Christ, they become the same, that they become part of the same brick and build the type of house the living God is delighted to take residence in. It's that, it's that brick building, that people building temple, where there are not these divides that God just delights to take residence in. If you flip that on its coin, where are there, there are these divides, where there is separation, where there is disunity, God is not delighted to take residence in. It's been great to talk to you. It has been dense and I've run through a few things, but I pray that as you study and unpack chapter two in the book of Ephesians even more, that this will be opened up to you. It was great to talk to you. Bye for now.